Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Oh, hi, everyone. It's been a minute, but welcome back to the Telegraph Rugby Podcast. A quiet week ahead, as you know, with the Rugby World Cup getting underway on Friday. Charlie and I are heading out there in the next few days, but the mother's favourite, Charles Richardson, is already there. Charles, how are you? And where are you? Bonjour de Paris. I am in Paris. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm sitting in a Paris hotel room. Very, very excited for what's to come on Friday night uh, and potentially Saturday too if uh, Georgia can upset the odds and beat Eddie Jones' Australia. But more on that later. Very true. Now, after we sat through England's warm-up games over the last month, does it feel like the tide is beginning to turn and you're... Starting to get a little bit excited, Charlie, about the World Cup. Yeah, well, we've had we've had uh, a week and a bit since then, haven't we? Since we endured those four weekends and the bounce, but no, certainly excitement over what should be a, a really a really fascinating, absorbing tournament, no matter how England do. Charles, have you got a vibe already of, of sort of excitement building over there? What's the what's the atmosphere like? Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's buzzing here in Paris, and anyone who's coming over uh, should be very very excited. Um, there was some media drinks last night, and there was a real buzz around the place. Uh, however, as we know, and as as has been widely reported, there is this little cloud hanging over the tournament now with the with the Bastien Chalouhou, um stuff that's been creating a little bit of a cloud, but it hasn't detracted from the excitement. I don't think, but it is there. It is it is lingering. And in terms of what we've got coming up later in this episode, Charlie, you spoke to um, England's brief attack coach, Nick Evans. Uh, what can we expect to hear from him later in the episode about? Some real, some real honesty, actually. He didn't, sh- he didn't sugar- sugarcoat the challenges of that little secondment that he had to England over the Six Nations. And he went into a little bit of detail about how he juggled that gig with his Harlequins one. Um, he's obviously stepped back now and he's back with Quinn. So he spoke a little bit very briefly about Harlequins pre-season. Um, and then into what he's seen from England during the warm-ups. Um, obviously, we we delved into the wrinkle that is Marcus Smith at fullback, which we're going to have a look at later in the podcast. Um, and then just his general, general kind of um, the things he's looking forward to over the World Cup with his his biases as a as an attack-minded coach and and what he's looking forward to. Uh, now, I'm sure you've been following everything on the Telegraph website uh, avidly over the last few weeks as we get closer to the tournament. But just a, a few things to draw your attention to which is our top 100 player series ranking the world's top 100 players you can probably guess who's number one but the rest uh, you might find interesting and also an excellent piece that Charles has done with uh, former referee Nigel Owen sort of reviewing Charles which game was it reviewing the 1991 1991 Le Crunch England France semi-final at the Parc des Princes yeah you know a very very um let's say uh, hard fought 
uh, match, and it was interesting to pour back over that with uh, with Nigel. Would you say that game featured proper rucking? Um, you could say that, yes. Inspectors uh, Ackford and Dooley and, and, and Leonard uh, do take matters into their own hands. Um, they don't need a second invitation to do that, let's say. Absolutely. And, and one more thing to mention is also not on the website, but on Charles's uh, Twitter profile, I can't call it the new name, um, is, is an excellent thread uh, detailing where you should be watching games in Paris and around France and, and which bars you should be going to. So if you're heading out there, and you're a little lost wondering where to watch the rugby, please, please pop over to Charles's Twitter profile. Have a look. Right, enough, to, enough to sort of build-up. Let's get into England. It's, uh, it's been a gruelling, gruelling few weeks. OK, so I had the pleasure of watching all four of England's uh, warm-up games, and the two of you, I think, saw three of them. Um, Charlie, if I, if I just come to you first, uh, Steve Borthwick was talking this week at their at their training base about how you know maybe some players have, feel like they've been written off a bit too early, and how I think Lewis London said that you know we're underdogs, but but that's okay. Uh, how do you feel about this team at the moment? I'm really interested by this. I think I think there has been a general a general feeling of that and they have been they have absorbed quite a lot of heat for their performances but you can only go by the evidence of your own eyes and they've been really poor um and it's what i've been thinking about is sort of the parallels with with steve borthwick at leicester tigers and at steve and there they had a really it was a conservative game plan but it was a really connected game plan and we spoke a lot about this um over over the last year of, of doing these podcasts they they kicked long but then when the other side were in possession they had a really disruptive breakdown d, d that would win them a lot of penalties they kicked a touch and they'd more really well and they have had relatively strong carriers sort of so carriers that were really strong relative to the competition they were playing and if you think about mm-hmm. jasper visa julian montoya Alice genge all of those guys all of that Mandolo. Was, yeah the, these players all of that was tied together by discipline and fitness now with england at the minute those rungs are disparate because they're not connected because one of them is letting them down at the minute whether that's whether that's the defense whether that's the discipline and then that they don't have that glue so everything else apart from probably their mall has looked pretty ineffective they've had they've had periods of kind of slightly bright phase play but that's petered out if you think about the start of the wales game even the start of the ireland game and handling errors has been another thing um that's been blighting them now there has been unapologetically england have targeted peaking for the World Cup and in Allard Waters they've got a fitness a fitness guru who's done it all before with South Africa um, we, if we take them at their word they should be a lot better clearly when the, when the tournament starts against Argentina however they sort of deserve what they're getting I think just because just because it's really hard to hang your hat on hang, hang your hat on something apart from as I say the mall and maybe how disruptive they've been on opposition lineouts as something that is going to go well for them at the tournament um but they've got this experience. They've got a seriously friendly draw. And I think the sentiment changes if they edge Argentina, who are, as we know, can be quite, quite, can be quite an inconsistent side. Even There is a sense of deja vu, isn't there? I mean, about we, we sat here this time last year, almost in November last year during the Autumn Internationals, and we said that they're, England are not direct enough. They're not, they're not punchy enough. They've not got enough ballast. They're not getting enough momentum. They're not getting over the game line. And it is night and day with Borthwick's early days at Leicester. Said Charlie, there's Visa, Nandolo, Montoya, who did a lot of carrying. There was there was um, Kelly, Scott, Moroni giving direction in midfield. And 
and, and and that hasn't changed. And we were saying this this time last year under Eddie Jones that there aren't Billy Vunapola was was left out, and then he obviously has has now come back into the fold and wasn't too impressive um, in the away loss in Argent uh, in Ireland, and obviously has been banned. Um, but you do feel like England still need him or somebody of that ilk because you can't just expect the prop forwards Ellis Genge. Sinclair perhaps to carry constantly for you because they're they're knackered from scrimmaging, and and Ellis Genge is an excellent ball carrier, but he's going to be fatigued, and you can't just be saying, okay, Ellis, you carry, you carry, you carry. That's not sustainable, and we're back here again where we're we're probably going to be looking at an English back row, which is going to be three flankers. So I think there's a more fundamental issue across the Premiership of where are the big English ball carriers, and at the minute. There aren't many. I think that's fair, and I think that's one reason it slightly surprised me that Tom Willis didn't get um, picked in that thirty-three just as a backup to to Billy as that as that go-to kind of focal point carrier. One facet that I'm finding really interesting about this as well is maybe sort of a, a, a kind of social, I guess, slant on it is that um, see Borthwick sort of rebuilt Leicester, and that was a fantastic job that cannot be down, should not be downplayed. He did that in the in empty stadiums during COVID. He's now trying to kind of turn the tanker, turn another tanker with England under the glare of full Twickenham stadiums and, you know, heightened media scrutiny. And I just think that's a totally, di- totally different thing. Less of a, a tanker, more of a, a sort of a misfiring battleship where where nothing quite seems to be working. And just one point I wanted to to sort of make off that is it, it does feel a little bit as though they've put all the eggs in the Billy Vunipola basket and and now that isn't working I, I guess people who probably won't appreciate Borthwick's success at Leicester so much will be wondering why there isn't an obvious or effective plan B when that lack of powerful carrier sort of rears its head and England don't seem to have that thrust is, is that on is that on Steve Charles or, or is that just on English rugby well yeah I mean I think it's probably more on English rugby to be honest because no matter how you want to play the game, you know, game line success is vital. How you want, even if you want to play a really fast, open game, you know, you look at the, the Pacific Islanders who, yes, they want to play at speed and they want to they want to chuck the ball around, but they're all big, hulking men who are able to generate forward momentum. And at the minute, England in the in the back line. In, 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 in Manu Tolangi and Ollie Lawrence, they have two punchy centres. But if they're going to look at a back three of, say, Max Malins and Freddie Stewart, there is a real lack of individual threats in that back three and in the back line in general. Uh, and, you know, when when the pack's lightweight, your, your back three's not really threatening as much as the other top nations of the world. I'm not surprised that they're just kicking the leather off it, frankly. And, and and I think, to be honest, I've mentioned this before internally, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they tighten the bolts and play even more conservatively at this World Cup and they just revert completely to type, kick the leather off it. They haven't mauled very much. I don't know if it's because they thought that that would be predictable with Steve coming in and, and with how... Um, sort of glittering his acumen is in that area of the game that everyone thought that they were just going to maul and maul and maul but they actually haven't mauled very much and against Fiji against Wales at times it looked very very strong um but the, the sort of 
the, the other thing that is, is differing with his early times at Leicester is when he went back to Leicester, well, when, when he went to Leicester in the early days, he put the foundation blocks in and they were just very, very difficult to beat. They, they weren't an incredible rugby team, but, you know, they didn't miss tackles. They had a defensive system. They fought very hard. The set piece was excellent. And then he was sort of like, if we get all that sorted then will be difficult to beat. And that's a really good start. With England, it's almost like none of that's in place. And now they're trying to dress in fancy attack. They're putting the cherry on top of the cake without the cake, almost. Just a floating cherry in the wind. Just a floating cherry. Sounds terrible. That's England. Um, I'm glad you brought up the kicking because we can't not talk about it. I I, I think what was most apparent in the loss against Ireland was, was Steve's... Um, quick insistence to point out afterwards that Ireland had actually kicked a lot more than England and it was more that they had been better at retaining the ball and then taking their chances and and he's right because actually England for a team that liked to kick and, and looked to the box kick as a, a primary outlet aren't actually very good at retaining it and winning it back and that comes down to chases, it comes down to organisation, it comes down to I guess fitness in a, in a way uh, uh, Charlie, why are they not very good at the thing that they want to be really good at? It's kind of inexcusable, isn't it? When it does happen, it it, it kind of it, it bears fruit. So if you think about the start of the Fiji game, Alex Mitchell hit a high ball, recovered by Johnny May. They go right through Ollie Lawrence. They look like a rugby team. Um, when that and when um, they score one of their tries because George Ford finds a little pocket of space in the backfield, Marcus Smith runs through, picks it up, and scores. It's all about how well you're doing this and and, the, and your kicking game as a whole has a lot of different components and it often holds a mirror up to how, as you say, how fit you are, one, but also how cohesive you are. And I think England have been fumbling for both of those two things. The fitness, the fitness is interesting to me because I just can't believe... With, with Steve Borthwick and Alan Waters in, in charge, I think everybody was entitled to believe that they would be fit and they would be clear about how they're going to play. The clarity doesn't look there the fitness might be compromised because they're doing a lot of work to get to peak for when they want to peak to. And I'm inclined to think that Ad Walters knows what he's talking about and that he'll deliver that. So that's one area of it that you hope would be up to scratch. And that might just start the ball rolling in a positive, positive manner again. I think you're right. My only quibble would be that I thought we might have seen by Fiji a bit more of that fitness work sort yeah, of yeah. coming yeah. in <clears throat> and actually in the last half an hour they were sort of they were chasing shadows of it in defence because um, Charles's favourite Fijian winger was causing chaos uh, down the right wasn't he wasn't he Charles after, after, after a horrendous missed tackle on Johnny May that everyone's forgotten about um, but, but the, the fitness thing I mean they're obviously very heavy legged in that, in that Fijian defeat and there is logic I know it's very difficult because it's sort of jammed tomorrow so I know it's very difficult to to sort of to, to, to rationalise this as an England fan, but if 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 what we are led to believe is true and that they were very heavy legged and they'd been beasted during those warm up games with a view to looking ahead for the long term towards the tournament and towards Argentina, then really everything should be okay. I know that's difficult to believe and it very much might not be. Um, but there is logic in the fact that they've been beasting them during the warm-up. So that obviously was going to have a short-term impact and a short-term effect. I think given they were just warm-up matches and the tournament hasn't even started yet, and given the draw that they have and given the quality of the players at th- their disposition, I... Th- I 
I do think it's very early to be writing them off. I mean, we've had people sort of saying to us that they're going to go out in the group, they're not going to get out of the group, or that they're going to lose to Chile. And I mean, it's it's really it's not going to be that bad. I am. I mean, this is obviously just my opinion, and, and I will be held to this. I'm aware, but I really do think it could be better than the the sort of the, the doom mongers are are predicting at the minute. Uh, am I being blindly optimistic here? Maybe. Who said they were going to lose to, to Chile? Was that Tony Benson and, and Roy Hedges? Were they were they it the was, ones? Yeah. Were they yeah. the ones? Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> I, no, I agree. I agree with Charles, and I think I'm I'm optimistic for how they how they go on balance. However. I think if I think they've misjudged how important these warm-ups were as far as gathering people on side, which is um, weird, right? After the Ireland game in 2019, where they hammered Ireland, yeah, and everyone was, and get, then there was that excited. surge of, surge of optimism. However, if there is one person who is singular enough to really take the warm-up games for what they are and an actual irrelevance as far as the tournament goes, then it's Steve Borthwick. And he's going to be the guy that's going to be going to have that focus to move them on to the next job because that was what we heard relentlessly over his time at Leicester. There's um, there's no Owen Farrell against Argentina this weekend or against Japan. He addressed the media yesterday, yesterday being Monday at England's training base, and he said, um, "I made a mistake and got banned for it in the end." In the end, almost comically, I hope he said, because it was one of the more long-winded yeah, that sounds pro- processes yeah. that we've mm. we've been through in terms of, of disciplinaries. I feel like EastEnders has more long-winded uh, plot li- less long-winded plot lines than that. And uh, he also said, "I'm not going to sit here and moan about it now," which we wouldn't have expected from mm-hmm. him either, to be honest. Farrell not being there deprives England of of certain things from a leadership perspective. Charles, how much does it affect them in terms of their actual play? Um, given given how good a season George Ford had, and given his abilities as a fly half, I, I'm not sure that much in terms of an actual fly half. In terms of pulling the strings and playmaking, it's it's fairly close between the two of them. But obviously, Farrell brings that sort of intangible leadership quality that maybe Ford doesn't quite bring. Obviously, Ford has other strengths and that, 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 that Farrell doesn't have. Um, I, I'm not concerned about George Ford starting at fly half for England. That, that, that doesn't concern me in the slightest. The, the rumour that we have understood was they were looking at potentially Ford Farrell back at 10-12 in tandem. Um, for the Ireland which, game, again, I think that was yeah. for, for the Ireland game, yeah, which is again interesting. Presumably, with Ollie Lawrence at thirteen outside them as a big carrying um, threat, or maybe Joe Marchant, probably not Manu at thirteen anymore. Um, so, I, so therefore, there was already even when Owen was available, there was already clearly a movement to have George Ford at half anyway so I don't think it's that big a loss in terms of actually at fly half but in terms of the leadership obviously having your captain banned is less than ideal less than ideal yep yeah very well said uh, Charlie we Marcus Smith at fullback um your your excellent reporting sort of revealed that England have been looking at that and he came off the bench against Ireland there almost to everyone's surprise uh, why are England looking at that and, and is that a thing that's the thing, and it's related to what we were talking about there because um, if you're thinking about the structure of the back line and how that's set up, 
Henry Slade not being there means that that meant that there was more onus on Owen Farrell as a 12. We saw Ford and Farrell very briefly, didn't we, before Owen Farrell got sent off. Um, Ford came on for, I can't remember who, and but there was that 10-12 was um, there for a little bit and obviously was broken up pretty quickly because of Owen Farrell's red card. But that without Slade and without Farrell now, they don't have that second ball player in the back line. Um, in midfield, certainly, if they're going to keep keep Elliot Daly on the wing. So Smith then becomes really important as that second layer and that second outlet. And I don't mind it. You know, I think um, it's touched on with um, Nick Evans, as I mentioned earlier. And he says, look, I don't I wouldn't start him there. I think he'd get exposed and because Argentina are going to come to kick as we'll as we'll point as we'll look at later. Sorry. Um, but he's helped find them, find them find edges. And I think they're going to have to do that a little bit. Because they, as as we've mentioned, they don't really have that relentless punch of a of a Leicester of a Leicester over the last couple of years. So they're going to have to move the ball a little bit. In, instead of later, we're actually going to look at that right now. Great. What can we expect from Argentina? I, I think what we've noticed in the rugby championship is they're um, fantastic in terms of clearing out rucks, good breakdown operators, clearly big threats out wide. And they have shifted philosophy over the last um, seven, eight years towards more of a backline play. But like you've hinted at, Charlie, they do also kick a lot. They kick a lot. Kick thirty times in um, at Twickenham in in pretty wet conditions. It must be said, but they kick they kick the ball thirty times. Just got it up here, and they passed the ball sixty three times. England passed the ball one hundred and sixty four times in that game. Quite interesting, sort of that that dichotomy of styles obviously England were under a different coaching coaching team then but they were patient they will go super hard at rucks with Montoya Matera um, those guys and that if a little bit of we saw you mentioned their sort of attacking expansion there in um, again they went down narrowly didn't they in Johannes it was it Johannesburg in the South yes. Africa game yeah um, some of that stuff in the second half with them moving the ball to the edges they've got forwards who are, who are pretty um, pretty comfortable out wide mm. um, Gonzalez, Gonzalez being one of them yep. and some of that ball movement was really really nice so you know you've got you've got a, you've got two sides actually tacking on layers to their game plan Argentina are obviously further ahead um, but there's going to be a lot of kicking there's going to be a lot of a lot of people going very hard at the breakdown deadly um deadly goal kicker as well in yeah. Emiliano Buffelli who who's probably that a 90% accuracy, accuracy I would say um just to round up round off this section a quick prediction for the game Charles I'm coming to you first you're you're on the hot seat are England going to bounce back or are Argentina going to win this no, I think I think England will will sneak home. Argentina have been a bit inconsistent. Just to add on to what Charlie said there, I thought in that home loss in Buenos Aires against South Africa, they looked, you know, a, a bit a bit rudderless really, and, and not the Argentina that we know. Um, their scrum is very much not the beast it once was, and I think England could really have a go there. And if you start to get scrum ascendancy, especially with two teams who, um, you know, maybe a little bit of confidence and know how cagey and tight this game is going to be, that that can that can go a long way. And I, I think England will just about get home. Um, but that's mainly because I'm not sure Argentina are quite as consistent and as as dangerous as as many of as many have built them as. Charlie. It's dead even with the bookies, which is fairly unusual, but very interesting. I think England scrape it as well. I don't think it's going to be very an attractive game to watch, um, certainly in comparison to the ones on this weekend. But yeah, just I'm I'm all in on Argentina. Line outs better, breakdowns better, 
play better rugby, England's defence is too bad. Right, let's move on to the next part of our podcast, which is an interview with Nick Evans, uh, famously of Harlequins, briefly England's attack coach, knows the squad very well. Charlie had a chat with him earlier this week. Nick, thanks so much for coming on. Just set the scene for, for me. It's a gorgeous Sunday evening in September, but because it's World Cup year, no rugby. So what was this weekend for you? Um, what do we have this weekend? Uh, Saturday was actually pretty good. Uh, decent little Saturday, um, just with the kids mucking around. We had, a, um, we had a barbecue to go to, so that was nice to get away with them. And then Sunday was just a bit hectic, mate, for anyone that has multiple kids that's fairing kids around with sports. Uh, we had a football game in Portsmouth. Um, had to get down there. We had to get the older one to work and back. Uh, we had the little one who was just running around and doing everything. So, yeah, the um, the resources were stretched a bit, um, as most most families are. Um, and uh, you and your wife seem to be we, – we, we end up just pa- – you know, ships passing in the nights uh, on a weekend. But um, that's nice. The weather's, the weather's brilliant, so I can't complain. Adapting to chaos. Um, how's 100%. how's preseason been at been at Harlequins, Nick? You've got you've got some cool new arrivals: Joe Joe Launchby, Will Joseph, Will Porter. Must be a sense of excitement. Yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been long. Um, these tend to happen in World Cup year. You're you get an elongated uh, preseason. I think we're about ten a week, ten or eleven weeks in. We've had a couple of weeks off in and amongst that, which has been nice. Um, but yeah, good, really good excitement um, with the, the new arrivals. Um, you know, Joe's, Joe's obviously the experience that he has launched for is, is, is going to be brilliant for us, um, especially for the Ford pack. And, and the Irish boys, um, you know, Chandler, Will and, and Lovejoy are going to be fantastic. Um, you know, one, just to see them playing, you know, it, it, I know a lot of them have got gigs and but some of them haven't so you know for, for for these guys to be able to to come to us is is awesome um so looking forward to them getting stuck in and will porter as well you know another quality uh nine that's got good good premiership experience and and it'd be good for danny as well you know and, and the young group of nines that we have as well to have someone like him come in and um and and demand the standards around nine nine especially with danny way at the world cup speaking of the world cup oh actually just before the world cup can i can i now bring you back nine months or so to the start of this year and you being seconded to England camp um, under Steve Borthwick for Steve's um, maiden campaign as England head coach. Clearly, coming in in that situation, fairly unique. You wouldn't have been able to overhaul things, but it must have been a really interesting coaching challenge for yourself. Yeah, it was. It was um, It was ex- extremely challenging, mate. Um, you know, one that I look back on um, with, with great memories and great learning probably is the biggest thing. Um, you know, got some really good learning out of it. One, to feel comfortable at that level. Um, you know, my first experience, um, you know, a tier one nation, six nations, which, you know, um, historically and, and people tell me is the hardest campaign to coach in because you just don't have time. And and that was probably my biggest learning is just the lack of time. Um, I was trying to run two programs, kind of the lead up to um, to when they got together. You know, we, we played the Sharks um, in a uh, in a Heineken Cup group stage. And then, um, then, then I was in that week. Um, you know, prior to that, I was trying to do I was trying to kind of go in maybe an afternoon or a night uh, once or twice a week with the, with the England guys and and trying to, you know, kind of get a bit of cohesion on what we we're trying to do and then obviously working my normal job as well. So I always felt a little bit on the back foot there uh, because they were, they were together for the whole time and I was kind of bit part coming in. And then, and then I only had one week uh, basically with the team until that Scotland week and to try and implement a system, an attacking system, which 
which was that was roughly there, but what wasn't really um, detailed in, in, in what their roles and responsibilities were. It was, it was basically based off momentum and and um, and offset piece. So we tried to do that, um, and then and then then you're just straight into it, you know, straight into the Scotland week. So yeah, it was a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, you know, as I said, some some brilliant learning to get out of it, um, and obviously learning from from some some quality coaches as well. You'll be too self-deprecating to to say, I imagine. But if you, if you look back now, I think some of that stuff that England put together against Scotland, I think there's a fair bit to be proud of there, and a lot, and certainly kind of in comparison to what we've seen over the last month. Your the theory goes that England should kind of improve a bit um, over these World Cup pre-seasons because they get preparation time that they don't normally get, and they get that window to build cohesion that is kind of can be la- lacking. Um, what have you seen watching on um, specifically an attack from the four warm-up games that they've had so far for this World Cup? Yeah, I think and to go back to your first first point, the I was yeah the Scotland game. We, we actually played some really really good stuff, and there was always going to we. It was funny we we actually entered that coming off the back of the game. We had a lot more position than we thought we would. Um, mm. You know, it's it's funny. I know there's a lot of thing around England kicking, but the, like all the Northern Hemisphere teams kick. Like the French kick a lot, the the Irish kick, the Scot the Scots kick, um, you know, being comfortable without the ball is is certainly a remit for for a lot of those those um, those teams, and they are three to five years down the line of of where we were, um, and so when they have the ball, that they are extremely comfortable for the limited bits they have. So we actually we yeah we we put a lot of lot of stuff together and. You know that we were a little bit inaccurate um, with a few opportunities, and um, but yeah, the signs were there, and and, and obviously you know that was we were, we were close to winning that game. Which you know, if you go on the back of went beating uh, Italy and then Wales, it could have been three three from three from the start, and maybe maybe a totally different story. But you know, that's all if buts and maybe. So um, no, it's, I, I think um, you know I was I was pretty pleased with that process, and. Um, but uh, you know there, there was a there was a there was a fitness aspect that that um, we were putting a lot of pressure on the, the the boys you know with the ball in hand and and you know burning them up pretty quick so um, you know we, the, the the kind of remit was we didn't want to play too many phases um, so we, we again prioritized certain certain other areas of the game um, and you know I fully understood that um, and therefore that, that that was obviously a challenge um it's easy in club because we have a we have a long time with these players and I'm I am of the firm belief that um you have to live and breathe your attacking philosophy um you know if if you, for us especially I use our example at Quinns our language our behaviors our actions um the way we talk about our defense and our kicking game is all aligned almost to attack um because that's the biggest part and you know your feedback and your 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 your, your um performance feedback to the players is aligned in your language so yeah, the way you train the way you the way you prepare is all aligned so it it, it was i found that 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 really a, a massive challenge um, with the lack of time and, and then obviously a different style of play um which mm. which you know that's i've got no nothing against different styles of play because that's kind of what makes our game unique. You know, if we all played the same, it would be a bit boring. Um, so there's, that, that was certainly a, a good challenge. So, so yeah, so rolling into kind of rolling into the warm up games from what I saw as, 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 well, yeah, I probably expected them to be further down the road than they would. And, and obviously Wigglesworth has come in and, and, and again, a, a tough challenge for him because, you know, um, we already know another assistant coach is coming in. Obviously, if you read between the lines, obviously Felix is going to come in and do attack. He does that for the South Africans. So he, again, is a bit of a stopgap. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I think they were, they, I, I certainly, we, we were able to train with them. Quinn's trained against England before the, um, 
uh, before the Fiji game, and and again certainly saw a lot of lot of kind of a, a trying of a progression um, down the line of what what uh, I, I kind of implemented a little bit, but um, but it's just not transferring onto the field. Um, whether that is because they don't live and breathe it, whether there's a straight jacket that's kind of there and the, the, the plan changes, I, I, I don't know. Um, but you, you have to be in there to, to, to kind of know that. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 I can see the frustration. Um, you know, I can see the frustration on the players um, with things aren't quite clicking and the errors probably, obviously, they magnify that. Um, if you're not all quite aligned or if you're not all quite sure that's kind of where those errors kind of get magnified and, and, and they creep up. I think it was 20 odd in that first Welsh game. And that, that was, that was kind of a bit of a telling blow on that. What do you think they're living and breathing Nick? If you, if you, um, to, if you were to, to, from, from now, from a little bit further detached, if you were to kind of pinpoint a philosophy of this England side, what would you, what would you guess at it? Um, oh, I think they, um, they certainly live and breathe. a. um, like Steve Borthwick style of game, um, you know, there's, there's certainly uh, like that kind of pressure plus. You've probably heard that a bit, um, like that kind of breakpoint rugby. Um, certainly, right, we're gonna we're gonna get a. I know it probably doesn't show up uh, at at the moment, but certainly a, a defensive style that's gonna stay um, and hold people, hold teams, um, a set piece that's gonna be strong and compete, um, and a uh, and a kicking game that's gonna be that's gonna be accurate and and, and try and win the territory battle basically it all boils down to a team that's hard to that, that that's going to be hard to beat um and that, that in itself probably again is a is a mindset shift you know like a, a a team that's hard to beat or a team that you're going out there and imposing your way of winning the game onto um and again whether you're right or wrong it's it's just making sure that that everyone's aligned um and that, that's always a tough thing when you when you're picking players for all different types of clubs you know you've got you've got groups of players there that 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 play a different ways. You've got the Quinns group, you've got the Bristol group, you've got the uh, Saris group, you've got the Lister group, you know, Alex Mitchell comes in a Northampton way of playing, um, you know, sale boys, all these different styles and then selling a plan and right. This is how England is going to be um, is, is, is the key part of that. Um, and I think if there's any sort of an international level um, hesitancy or, or, um, or a lack of right understanding of what they're trying to do, then then it gets exposed at the, that level. When, when a team's set up like that, um, the pressure plus template, does it make taking chances even more important because you're potentially going to get fewer of them? Yeah, no, no, it certainly does, and I think you see that with all the with all those teams. The French are the best at it. You know, they they kick the they probably well, I don't know, you've probably got the stats. They they. I think kick the ball almost the most in the in the Six Nations, but when they get their opportunities, um, and again it's through down to tra- how they train, but they've been together a long time. They know what Dupont's going to do. They know what Ramos is going to do. I know he's injured, but Intermac. They know any opportunity that this is going to happen. The Irish are the same. Again, you know, very prescriptive in the way they exit, how they don't play in their half. They kick, you know, six and around halfway. It's looking to find opportunities. And then, but when they do, they're like, they're the machine and they understand they fall into their shape and then they break teams down that way. The Scots are a bit, bit kind of like the French, you know, Finn Russell, he's probably, for me, has turned into one of the best unstructured kicking tens in the world. The way he kind of glides across and finds grass in the backfield or, and his variability is brilliant. Um, and, but when they 
have an opportunity or, or get position, whether it's turnover or from a poor kick or from a set piece, that they are they're so down the line of their attacking system and structures that they all understand what they're trying to do and and, and what they're trying to achieve in certain parts of the field. So, um, and again, we haven't even spoke about like Italy. Italy are the same, you know, that they, they kick the ball, but they've got a good attacking kind of system and structure and probably lacking the quality to break down the big teams, which is which is obviously a, a big challenge for them. So, yeah, to answer, I've probably been a long-winded way, but to answer your question, yeah, it, it's it's you have to, with the limited amount of chances you get, you, you, you've got a you've got a your conversion rate. Um, especially in the twenty-two efficiency has to be has to be good, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean scoring tries all the time. It might be three six nine or three six eleven. You know, it's that kind of thing and accumulating. Um, one potentially unexpected um, <clears throat> wrinkle we might get with England, um, and it might be a, as a result of, of Owen Farrell's sub- suspension. But Marcus Smith at fullback, guy you know well. Thoughts on the theory? Thoughts on seeing it in practice? Have you been? Sub- have you been surprised to see it implemented? Has it been fun to um, see it implemented? Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly probably good for us um, if he gets a bit of time there. Um, you know, we've got a, a great back three, great fullbacks, um, but also having the ability, for, you know, for our, our point of view with with Jared Evans now, um, you know, with Marcus and Jared on uh, as two really good attacking ball players, it, it opens up opportunities. So um, certainly, um, certainly to see him come on when the game opens up. It's it's brilliant, you know. He's not going to be hesitant in, um, you know, uh, offer himself on the uh, on the other side of the ruck uh, as the, those you know a dual attacking system for both teams. He won't he won't sit back for that. He'll be dominant. He'll want the ball in his hands. So you'll see quicker transfers into into when those when he needs it and, and getting the ball to space, which is great. He's a he's another kicking option, attacking kicking option. He doesn't have a massive kick, um, so would probably struggle. Maybe against teams that have big kicking games, um, he's not the biggest kicker in the world, um, but he's certainly a good attacking kicker. So, um, yeah, I, I can see that happening in a in a game where they need to, to to push the accelerator or put the foot on the throat that he may shift back to fullback. Um, I, I can't see him starting a game at fullback, mate. I think uh, he'd get exposed. Um, I think with the high ball, and that's not down to him not knowing, you know, not being brave or anything like that, but. Having not played there um, for, for for a while, you know, or if at all, really at test level, it's a big that would be a big ask, I'd imagine. Is it is it a, is it a bit wild to see it implemented this late for you? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, and no. I, I think um, it depends which way you look at it. I think um, maybe it's a little bit. I wouldn't want to say panic, but but trying to maybe something that 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 um, right. We need to try something different. Um, we have to, you know, things aren't quite working as well as we maybe thought we would. We wouldn't be as far down the road as we thought we would be. Uh, we need to, we need to, you know, push our attack on. And the best best way to do that is get your best attacking players on the pitch. Um, and, and that might be, you know, if that's if that's Marcus at fifteen with George Ford there, then then that's that's the way to do it. Um, so I think there's, there's certainly that that way of looking at it. Um, and 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 maybe it's maybe it's 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 something that they've thought of and thought you know like this is we'll, we'll just implement it a little bit uh, towards the back end of the warm up games and it may be something that they that they roll in pretty pretty early against Argentina you know 50, 60 minutes on um, at least they've had a crack at it and then they know they can go, they can throw the, the throw that option on. Um, just to open it up for the last couple of questions, Nick, given your biases, the way you see the game, what you enjoy about the game, what are you most looking forward to from this World Cup? 
Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the pool stages. Um, yeah, I, I think the last couple of World Cups, the teams that you would expect to get through are going to get through. Um, and I think this World Cup and and whether you like the way the draw gets done or you don't, it's created a, a situation where bar maybe one, maybe one, maybe the France-New Zealand pool that you could probably say, right, and in a disrespect to the Italians, but, you know, France-New Zealand should get through that. But almost every other pool, you're like, far out. Like, I don't know who the two that are going to come through this. Like, I, we, we've done a, um, a coach's sweepstake and I've, I've run this and I've put the first round up and, and people have started putting their their scores and who's going to win and it is like a scattergun it is like there are <laughs> there are there's fiji winning you've got scotland it is like so it just shows that i'm looking forward the, the first game is going to be massive you've got four games you know scotland south africa i don't know people will probably go south africa but man the scots are good the scots are, the scots are a good side um you know georgia you know no one knows anything about georgia fiji wales that's a coin flip you know, you know, no one knows. So I think that's the beauty of these pool stages, you know, a big side. Well, I think there's going to be a couple of big sides that may not make it through to the knockout stages. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. Okay. It may not make us feel less bad than if you guys, uh, <laughs> if your, if your guys' predictions are widely spread, then ours <laughs> certainly are too. I'd like to, if I can, if I can prize them out of you, just a winner and how, how England will do. Um, Oh man, I've got a. I've, my heart and soul will be New Zealand, um, but my head That's says okay. South, my head says South Africa. Um, I just think they they operate and are so comfortable in a, in a and this is no disrespect, but an ugly game, a game that that will become set piece that is so physical and dominant that it becomes stop stop start. Um, it's a you know a game that is that's they'll be kicking orientated. They've got the magic. They've got the moody, the, um, you know, the, 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 the Colby's and the, it's moody, isn't it? The sense. Yeah. 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 Yeah, But brilliant. They've got that when they need it, you know, Um, but that they operate at that level where the game gets ugly. And we've watched enough world cups, mate, you and I to know that when the knockout stages come, the game, the game becomes tight, comes very tight. Um, And I think they operate the best in that. So my heart, my heart and soul will be New Zealand, but my head at the moment is saying South Africa. Um, and England, and England, and England have got the, the the dream draw, haven't they? Um, you know, I I see them getting out of their group. I, I I definitely see them getting out of their group. I know people are saying that they might not, but I I, I see them getting out. Um, even if they lose to Argentina, I still think they'll they'll, they'll get obviously get out of their group. Um, and look, I can. It's it's funny because I know there's all this negativity and and, and it's you know it's des- it's deserved they're not they're not that well prepared in terms of where they are in their game but you know depending on who they have to beat it's 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 a Wales or Australia or Fiji you know it's one of those and then it's depending on how the others knock each other out it it, it could be a it could be a semi final um so oh man I, I I don't like sitting on the fence I don't usually like sitting on the fence but I will go they'll they'll make it out of their group I think. I think they get beaten. I think they get beat in a quarterfinal. I think they get beaten. It's fine. Well, we'll happily take that. Um, yeah. Before it's going to be a fascinating couple of months, and before it finishes, you you guys will be back at it in the Premiership. So, um, Nick, so appreciate your time. Thanks, mate. Not a problem. Okay, that was Nick Evans. Great to hear from him and what he had to say about England. And now we're going to have a look ahead to the tournament and kick off with a few uh, predictions, actually. So, Charles, our man in Paris, I'm going to ask you to tell me 
your winner, your player of the tournament, and your biggest surprise in that order. Okay, winner, I'm going to have to stick to France, although over the last week I have been getting a little bit anxious. I feel like the wheels might slightly be coming off with the injuries and this shallow storm, but I'm sticking with France. South Africa looks excellent. Ireland are dangerous. New Zealand dangerous, but I'm sticking with France. Therefore, player of the tournament, I'm going to go, as I did on the uh, Telegraph Sport predictions, which are on the website, I'm going to go with Julien Marchand, the, the France hooker. He's an outstanding player. Um, we're in the age of the hooker. There's never been such depth for a World 15 at hooker, and he's leading the pack. Incredible at the breakdown, unbelievable defender, very strong ball carrier, and he's always at the heart of everything that's good about France. It, it always seems to start with him. Uh, surprise, um, this is a real poison chalice. I'm going to go with Samoa to get out of the group. Um, the Pool D, England's group, and Argentina to go out in the pool stages. Oh, he's, he's firmly doubling down on firmly I against I thought, Argentina. I thought that Samoa. I thought that Samoa uh, were looked really, really good against Ireland in Bayonne in that warm-up game. I thought they looked a lot better than Fiji for what it's worth um, against England. I thought that they they looked excellent. They had a really good set piece. Paul Aloemiel at Tighthead is quickly becoming one of my favourite rugby players of all time. And I think they could do the business. I think they could. They, I think they could spring a surprise. He did not enjoy Argentina's win in Twickenham in November. <laughs> he did not enjoy it. Um, Charlie, your turn. Re- touching really quickly on Samoa um, before I forget to because I might forget to mention it later. They've got uh, Leinster assistant coach Andrew Goodman with them, who's a wizard with strike moves that's one one to watch during the tournament um, okay winner South Africa um, thought they'd win it in December like Charles got a bit nervous about that prediction over the ensuing months but then felt a bit smug again when they pumped New Zealand the other the other day and they've just got the know-how they've got the power they've got a lot of um, players who've been around the block and some very canny coaches player of the tournament Vili LaRue re- so related to that I think they're obviously going to be going to have to be pretty, um, pretty fierce up front, South Africa. But I think to win, they're going to have to take try scoring opportunities. And Villalou is just absolutely key with how they get to edges. Um, more so for the absence for the absence for now of Andre Pollard. Mm. Um, biggest surprise! I'm going to bottle the one that I've been texting. So to take you behind the curtain, I've been texting <laughs> texting these two all week, saying, you know, France at 33 to one not to get out of the group, and I. And, and to my defense, in my defense, I, in- I interviewed uh, Paolo Dogwu, who said, who's obviously the Italy winger, who said, we've got France, we've got France last, and you never know, like, that could be, we could have a quarterfinal on the line there, and, you know, stranger things has happened, and he's super confident with how Italy have, have trained. Can I say Georgia as a surprise? I just think that, yeah. that pool is so fun, and Portugal aren't going to be, um, they're going to be, they're going to be a lot of fun as, as part of that as well, but I just think Georgia with, the potential fragility of a few of those type fives, um, they could, that could be great. It's just going to be I'm the World Cup of imaginations. What's I'm going to have to push you a little bit. Who are Georgia beating, please? Australia. First. Oh, oh, massive. Oh. Yes, I, I'm there on Saturday. I would love that. I would love it. Love it. I'm, I'm just outraged that you've, ped- you've, the you've first peddled one. that. Well, if I've left it out there, so if it does happen, I can still. So we can edit it. We can edit it. Hard. I know in private. Sorry, that's for indoors chat. It's, it's not really on. 
Um, my turn. I I I also have a sneaky suspicion that South Africa are going to win it, but I feel like that does a disservice to Ireland. So, for variety, yeah, Ireland. Why not? I mean, getting past the quarterfinals would be progress, but I I kind of think the work that's gone in. This is the best squad they've ever had at a World Cup. Doing the Viking clap. They have the depth. The Viking clap is a real disappointment. And, and, and almost, I don't think you can kick a team out for doing a Viking clap. But <laughs> if the hotel had shut the doors on them when they come back after a game, I'd, I'd understand. Could maybe um, get docked seeding points for the next draw. Seeding the 2027 draw. Some sort of world rugby intervention is what you're, you're asking for. Yeah, let's say Ireland. And then a player with a tournament from Ireland, I think Caelan Doris might be a decent shout there. Biggest surprise. I I almost this almost does Fiji a disservice to to class this as a surprise, mainly because they're actually really good. Also because they've knocked Wales out of a rugby world cup before in two thousand seven. But I I am reaching a point where that Sunday game in Bordeaux when it's going to be touching on thirty degrees and it's Wales against Fiji, I think Wales chips are all in on that game. It, I think I think they're not sure about the Australia game, but Wales just have to win that game. And if Fiji fix half the things they got wrong at Twickenham, and for all the amazing attacking rugby, there was quite a, a few things that they could make, improve on. Yeah, Fiji in the quarters. I think it would be great. France against New Zealand. Big kickoff on Friday night. What a fantastic way to start the tournament. I think. I think even New Zealand's Massive loss at Twickenham to Safka. Maybe it slightly dampened the expectation around it, but it's still an absolute belter. And, and lots of you will have fond memories of, of France's game against Argentina, which kicked off the 2007 World Cup. Um, Charles, you're going to be there, mm. which is fantastic. Are you a little bit nervous about France, maybe? Yeah, I am a little bit nervous about France. I think that Jonathan Domti missing that match on Friday night will be a big blow for them. Well, Although, well is he? I mean, well, this is the thing. I mean, they they did rule him out, but then attack coach Lauren Labie yesterday was saying that there is a chance that he might be fit. Uh, it's touch and go. Um, they said they weren't concerned. I thought that Artur Vanson looked very good in the warm-ups as well. Um, I've never really been convinced about Yuramona at 12, um, but certainly there's enough class there in that back line whereby they should still be okay. There's reports coming out of New Zealand this morning that Geordie Barrett might also be a doubt for that game on Friday night. So it's not like it's just France who have these injury worries. Um, I, I think in terms of a prediction, I think it, it, it's... It, it, it's reasonable to expect New Zealand uh, to offer a response after that South Africa game. Um, and they might even win on Friday night. It might That might dampen the atmosphere in Paris. Um, but I, I think if France do lose on Friday night, I still think, I, I almost think it doesn't matter the result on Friday night. Where yes, of course you want to start the tournament with a win, but we know both of these, both of these two teams are excellent. And, it doesn't really matter if they top the pool or come second because they're going to be playing one of South Africa, Ireland, maybe Scotland anyway in the quarterfinals. So an early loss might actually be the kick up the backside that they need, France. And I can see them maybe losing on Friday night and still going on to win the whole thing, maybe beating New Zealand in a final, bookending the tournament. Who knows? Uh, yeah, every I think a lot of me would love France to um, 
<laughs> not to inflict more pain on the All Blacks, but just to absolutely blow the doors off it and, and win win it a canter and sort of really set the tone because there's been so much yeah. lovely build up to this tournament, hasn't there, with France's first Grand Slam in in ages and and just the way they've had big wins over the All Blacks and the and the Springboks. And I think I think it would be a real shame if we suddenly lost that momentum because they they went down in the first game. And um, Charlie, what's what's dangerous about the All Blacks in particular? They've, well, ironically, given how they went, and Ian Foster mentioned this, so they got absolutely destroyed in the set piece, didn't they, against South Africa the other Friday night. I, I agree with you. I think that could, I, th- I think, I can't remember what you said, actually. Did you say it was a bit of a, you said it could be could be damaging. I'm not sure I, I, I how yeah, maybe damaging. Yeah, sl- a slight dampener. Slight dampener, but I think the progress that they've made since that um, Ireland series has been kind of significant. Um, and Ian Foster mentioned that a lot of that has come through the set piece with the introduction of Jason Ryan as forwards coach, Ethan De Groot emerging as a really good loose head prop. Just quickly on that, the Jason Ryan thing is fascinating because they had that brilliant win at Ellis Park last year's rugby championship just after he came in and we were kind of like, oh, here we go. Here the All Blacks have got, they, they've yeah. got a pack again having yeah. been dismantled by Ireland and you mentioned De Groot and now it's, you know, it's, it's gone a bit flat. Last Friday, they it meant more to South Africa to win that game. And if you think about a, a warm-up game two weeks before when New Zealand probably had got all they needed to get out, they'd won the rugby championship, they'd beaten South Africa very, very well um, with some really clever kicking strategy going on in that game. Um, and then, yeah, you, then you get that set back. I think they're probably experienced enough to, to go, look, park that, we're on to France. Um, and... Yeah, that's what that's what makes them dangerous, and that and Joe Schmidt being there, having imparted that really both really direct phase play, allied to a kicking game that can really stretch and find areas of the field that are really tough to tough to defend. Um, it's just going to be awesome, and I just think those guys missing for although there's there are a few Shannon Frizzell's a doubt is he for or, or certainly it, out he even. would be, he would be a big loss just because of the physicality he offers. and how he's gone uh, Villemsa's a huge a huge loss for um France as well in that in that in yeah, those things Wokey's Wokey's not a bad replacement though is he no but but different player you'd say would completely you? yeah um, completely it, that's going to it's just going to be a hell of a way to start to start the tournament Chat, chatting about the um the massacre at um, Twickenham Fontaine, as we're going to call it, for that one night only. Let's chat South Africa, Scotland. Uh, South Africa looked like they had a lovely time in Corsica after winning at Twickenham just to get ready. They're based down in Toulon, and I saw a lovely um, photo, I think, from Hendrik Cronier, one of the SA reporters of their like squad photo by the water in Toulon. Everyone looks very smart and relaxed. They're, they're just they're just fizzing. Aren't they, Charlie? They're just getting getting ready at the right time. Know their way around. It's really interesting. The, the last, they obviously are our champions, and they won the last tournament on the back of just this unprecedented rush to the to the title, where um, Razi Erasmus and Jack Nienaber got this squad together from all around the world and just harnessed them with this reasonably, I mean, reasonably straightforward template, which hasn't been tweaked hugely. I don't think they are they are playing to width maybe a little bit more, and they have got those guys like Moody as well as. Colby and, and LaRue kind of facilitating all of that and they've had a longer run up this time and it's not been without a few hiccups um, and, and I'd, I'd asked this question to Ninaba sort of after I think after the Wales game I said what's this what's this World Cup cycle been like in comparison and he said it's been you know it's been odd because they had to peak straight away with that Lions tour mm. which feels like it could be three World Cup cycles ago right 10 years ago yeah um, 
but they've come through and they've got momentum, which is, you know, they absolutely destroyed a, a Wales second or third team and then they absolutely destroyed the All Blacks. So they're, they're starting really well. However, in Scotland, they're playing a team that, you know, biggest cliche in the world, but styles make fights in boxing. Scotland will will go really hard at one area of potential weakness, which is how narrow that rush defence gets. And they will relentlessly probe that with with Russell and with Kinghorn getting into those wider channels with that centre partnership, a super cohesive uh, centre partnership they've got. So that's another really interesting one. If you like gifts will... of um, Finn Russell flinging out 30 metre passes to the left and right wings, then this is, yeah, that's, this is probably the game happen, for yeah. you, isn't it? It is because, the game for you. Yeah. That is how will, they're going to do it. Will Scotland survive a 7-1? The seven-one bench. If, if will they do it? Will they do it? Are they gonna can do anyone? It? Are they can do any it again? team survive a South Africa seven-one bench split? It's, it's a fair question. Obviously, we asked Nianaba after the New Zealand game whether we'd see it again. Um, he, he wasn't completely convincing, but also he didn't rule it out, did he? You know, he he, he really didn't rule it out, and it was monstrous. That, that those seven forward subs coming off the bench all at once. And New Zealand had just no answer. One of the best teams in the world had no answer. If and I just wonder whether they'd be tempted again. It, it, I was just going to say, if it's going to happen again, then I might actually revise my player of the tournament prediction and, and change it to Quagga Smith because he's going to be busy because he, he has that versatility to sort of play on the wing, maybe I'm as a 13, athlete. all across the back row. He's a remarkable, remarkable player. Um can Scotland win realistically? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, their whole game cl- game plan is is um, centered upon getting the ball in the in the hands of their wingers, who are in Darcy Darcy Graham, Duane van der Merwe, who are super effective players and can hurt South Africa that way. If they do, it is going to be an awesome game, one for the ages. Darcy Graham tracking to be fit, I think, after after recent injury. Uh, Charles, Scotland, can you see them cause some chaos? Yeah, I really can because the, the Scotland's strengths are also are almost sort of, uh, as as Charlie mentioned, where South Africa's weaknesses are. You know, if they get if they get those big powerful runners that they have out wide, and if they get them into space, ball to them quickly. If they get on the front foot, and now they do have a pack that could do that. Pierre Schumann is a, a humongously improved player, and is one of the world's leading loose heads. Um, there is a, there is a real real chance. The the scary thing is that last Friday night at Twickenham, um, I thought South Africa actually left quite a few points out there. I think so. Charlie and I were there, and and we were, we were chatting quite often about South Africa actually butchered quite a few overlaps, uh, for quite a few two on ones that they didn't execute, or quite a few three on twos or, or, or two on ones where the ball carrier would would go themselves and, and and try and beat the man rather than the easy pass. Um, so you know, if all of if, if all of those had been executed, then it, it, it was looking like a sort of a, an all time victory, really, and it, it was it was still pretty striking as it was. So, it's such a funny journey South Africa have been on, having like tried to do more flair under Alistair Kutsia, and it was a disaster, and then gone back to basics under Razi, and now Nina, but and now they're trying to sort of sprinkle more flair on top again for the perfect balance, and they they look great. Um, and, and just to finish this. This sort of preview section on some of the games. Wales against Fiji on Sunday. Uh, it's an 8pm 8, 8 kickoff in the UK, but it's still going to be 30 degrees. I know because I checked yesterday when I was wondering what to pack. I can't wait. Not very much. No, linen. Um, <laughs> quite excited. <laughs> quite excited to see whether Fiji can, having had a, a pretty decent scrum against England and obviously the attacking play was there, if they can just add... 
a bit more breakdown threat. There's players to come back in. We didn't we didn't really chat about this, but there was no Tuasova at Twickenham from memory, and, and yeah, no so, Tuasova, no Botia, no Botia, no, no, no line out. No Botia. Who, who they're going to no line out. They're yeah. going to no address three of those things and be a lot better for it. Yeah, Botia, who featured quite high up on a certain top 100 list on the Daily Telegraph website, which you should go and have a look at. Um, I'm really excited about getting to watch Fiji again. And Charles, are they going to beat Wales? I think I think they might. I mean, there's a real possibility. It's almost they're sort of fighting as to how they're going to fit all of these stars into the back line because Tua Sova is going to come back in at 12. Then you're probably going to have Naya Salevu, who's the captain at 13. So Randrandra, where does he go? Does he have to go to fullback because you've got Vinicolo um, and you've got the entire back three who played against England at Twickenham, who obviously in the end looked very dangerous with the ball. Um, Abosi as well. So it, they're, they're overflowing with backs, really, if Tuasova is fit. I think there was a bit of a, it had a bit of a niggle, which is why he missed um, the England game. Bottier back in is massive. You know, what I would have given to have seen Yato on that yeah. back row with, with Bottier and Mata, but obviously he's, um, there was some kind of incident and he left the squad and is now back with his club. Um, but I think the, the only thing that I can say about this game is what I was saying off air earlier, is that it almost seems like an upset no matter who wins. Wales win, it's probably a bit of an upset. Fiji win, it's a bit of an upset. I, I don't think there are favourites here. Wales will just want to get through it no matter what. It, it, it just just get get past this game, get the tournament off up and running because if they win, then realistically, if they're solid against Georgia, they're going to be in a quarterfinal no matter what happens against Australia. Fiji, not really much expected of them, nothing to lose. I think they'll do it. I think Fiji will do it. Ooh, Charlie. Talks himself around. I think where I, th- oh, yeah. I think Wales. I think Wales. I think Wales have enough. I do think Wales have enough. I was just startled by how bad that, how bad that lineout was. Um, <clears throat> I know Simon Simon Rawalu is has has targeted. He, he said he's targeted clean cleaning rucks and bolstering the set piece, but that lineout was concerning. <clears throat> and I think that's one one platform that Wales can. Uh, get on top in, and I think they Wales themselves just have a lot of real, really experienced, really canny operators. Despite having lost, you know, the likes of Tipperick and Jones before the tournament and Owens, um, they're going to be they're going to be a tough side to beat as they always are. Yeah, I I don't really trust England to to peak for Argentina because I, I think they're just too much of a mess. But it, but it wouldn't shock me if Wales are gradually building towards something quite concrete where they. They sneak past Fiji, even though I would love Fiji to, to do it because I think it's such a good story. Just re- just really quickly, how, how Warren Gatlin kind of manoeuvred the, the warm-up games was fascinating, wasn't yeah. it? He went, he went um, but by all accounts, we, we hear that he, he, they trained a fair, well, they were, they were rested up for that first England game because I think they knew that the result as far as gathering momentum was really important. They obviously got over the line. Um, and then it didn't matter, I don't think, for him, did it? No. Then, and then he put up though they put up a really good fight at, at Twickenham, and then for that last, although they imploded at the end, and then for that last game against South Africa, it was like it was like he declared so, <laughs> and he was ready for the tournament, and with all the goodwill that he yeah, needed. Yeah, that was like slaughter. Yeah, yeah. As much as England sort of took a lot of heart from winning that game at Twickenham, it, it wasn't the strongest Wales team. No, by a long, no, not stretch, at all. not at all. Right, so much to look forward to on the weekend. I hope you're excited for the games as we are. We're just going to finish up today with some of your questions. 
So firstly, thanks so much for all of your lovely feedback about the Top 100 series that we ran last week. Chuck, who's laughing in the studio when I say that? Um, no, but seriously, we're glad that you engaged with it as much as you did. And, and hopefully you agreed with the top three, at least, as much as we did. We'll take the top one. Take the top one. Top yeah. two. Top yeah. two. Were, yeah, top yeah. two were concrete. Um, to get into some of your questions, thank you for, for responding uh, in your droves, actually. It's really nice to hear from you all. I'm going to start with David Gates, who asked about, what are your thoughts about Smith at fullback? We touched on it earlier, so we might just quickly do that. But he also asked, do you think that post-World Cup... Freddie Stewart could be moved to 12. Um, Charlie, I'll just come to you on that. We sort of touched on the Smith thing a lot. What, what about Stewart at 12? Is that... Don't love it. Um, I, I think that I think you're probably nullifying what he's best at there, which is that commanding aerial pre- presence. And I know that he... I say that in the knowledge that he really has to improve his sort of link play and, and how much of a threat he is and a facilitator is in those 15-metre channels. But I think that's a big move to make. And he's not the... I don't think he's the same. I don't think he has the feel for the game that somebody like Geordie Barrett has, and mm. and Geordie Barrett has made that made that transition really nicely. I think it would be a different thing with Stewart. So I think he can certainly get better at that catch pass stuff, um, and I think that would that would that would raise his ceiling as a player for sure. Charles, with the yeah, next question, uh, Mike Cooper asks, "What is your perfect Sunday?" Which is um, a, which is I'd a lovely say... hot fuzz reference. Yeah, my perfect Sunday uh, no is uh, getting a train from Paris to Bordeaux to watch Fiji beat Wales nice. on Sunday night. I'll take that. I, I have a I have a real question for you, which is Mike asked, "Do you think this is the best prepped we've seen a Pacific, Pacific Island sides heading into a World Cup, and will any success put World Rugby's plans for a closed shop, at least this league in jeopardy?" Um, just on on the prep stuff. Yeah, they they look well prepped, but Simon Rauli came in and Fiji were a bit of a mess at the start of the year, so they look good now, don't they? But it hasn't. It's not like it's been a four year steady build up. Mm. Yeah, they they are the best prepped, aren't they? They are the best prepped Pacific, Pacific Islanders uh, island teams that we've seen. But previous World Cups where they have, you know, they really haven't had the sort of facilities and access and uh, and, and time together and and prep that they that they should have. Uh, scandalously, really. And yes, um, I mean, I'm fully with Mike. I, I'm I dislike the. World Rugby's plans for this for this World League. Um, it is very elitist. I'm I'm very concerned about um, Georgia. You know, World Rugby always talk about emerging nations and, and and how they're trying to grow the game in these emerging nations. And so they're they're backing these nations to emerge. And then they're also saying, well, hang on, actually, we don't want you to emerge too much. Calm down. Don't 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 get ideas too far above your station. So. It, it's it's a bit it's a bit hypocritical for me. It, it's a bit contradictory, and yeah, I don't like it. And they shouldn't be closed off, especially if, as I have predicted, Samoa get out the group and Fiji beat Wales. And no, I do not wish to be held to account for those two predictions. You know, you know, this goes unless the, they're right. This goes on the internet unless they're right. right which unless means, they're right, yeah, <laughs> which means it's there forever. And um, that probably links to this question from Simon Charles, who says, "Who should my, who should my second favourite team be?" Samoa, I'm guessing. Um, well, Samoa is the obvious, but also, you know, let's not forget the likes of Chile and Portugal, who are going to need all the help they can get. Um, Uruguay as well, Santiago Arata, brilliant cast scrum half um, uh, uh, for them. And they obviously pulled off 
the upset of the last World Cup by beating Fiji. They've only got better since then. They've only developed since then. And really, they could be looking at maybe bloodying Italian noses um, on a similar theme. I can see Charlie um, wagging his finger at me. On a similar theme, though, maybe Italy. You know, Italy played the most enterprising, ambitious rugby of the Six Nations this year. They could be looking at bloodying French or Kiwi noses, really, and pulling off, off a couple of scalps. And that would then blow the quarterfinals and Pool A wide open. It's a lot of bloody noses, actually. Um, yeah. So, a, lot of, a lot of choice for your second favourite team as well. Yeah. I agree with all of that. Um, mine, I just, I just landed on Italy because... I think Kieran Crowley is going to go out in a blaze of glory. Having he's a favourite of the podcast, isn't he? Having sort of said that openly that there's a um, mm. that his team have got a mandate to entertain. Um, so let's see it. And we uh, like really. and we like being entertained. Like being entertained. Um, my answer is purely based on the uh, World Cup kit rankings, which should be out any day. And I, not to give too much away, but I know that Romania, both of their kits are quite high on the list. So. They're not much on the field based on their warm-up game against Georgia where they had 50 points yeah. put on them. But the kits, the kits alone, if you're looking for a new kit, get a Romania kit. They're really nice. And against against Italy, they were utterly dreadful as well, we should say. Really. So hopes yeah, are high think, is what you're, yeah, <laughs> is what yeah, you're telling yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like they sh- yeah, I mean... <sighs> That how how the mighty have fallen, Romania once once a, a powerhouse of rugby really, and now they look like a rabble. But ho hey ho, they'll pro- they'll probably prove me wrong as well. Threads aside, Charles, the the threads are the threads are delightful. Threads, the threads. Um, Richard Spears' question: Can I ask how much impact warm up games tend to have? Teams can't change the way they play overnight, but do teams hold things back? And how much do these games matter to players, coaches, and opposition? That's he references also the New Zealand South Africa game. I I think. Eddie Jones always used to. What did Eddie used to say about holding stuff back? Did he? He well, said it was impossible, he it, or he said they were doing it. And I feel like he just flip flopped on that, depending on how England were were faring. Is that is that right. accurate? Yeah, yeah. No, he said there's well, a bit of smoke and mirrors in the entire last year of a World Cup cycle. Um, but then, <clears throat> then after losing that Argentina game that we mentioned, he he sort of gave this weird public apology where he said, actually, no, we're concentrating on the World Cup too much. So I don't know. Charles, did did he say but, something well, similar when Australia lost to France the other week? Was yes, it? that's that's what that's what I was literally just about to say. Is that Taniella Tupo came out and said uh, we're holding loads of stuff back. Eddie's got loads of plans to be held back, and it's very nod and a wink, isn't it? It's very um, okay. I'll believe it when I see it, sort of sort of thing. Because it's very late in the day now to be holding stuff back. I mean, admittedly, they have Georgia first, which okay is a potential banana skin, but is not the biggest game of their pool. So they they do they do build slightly into the tougher games but even so how much can you just click your fingers and turn it on um i'm I'm not really too sure in terms of completely transforming the way that you play and embedding a completely new system and new ideas pretty tough i I think the ideal situation is that you know exactly how you're going to play and what your best team is but you just use the warm-ups to get your players fit and kind of re-familiarise with each other and you don't pick up any injuries. I would guess that's like the dream. Ireland, basically. Scenario. And, yeah. and, and what's interesting is that Ireland, um, when you, when you, if you think about a team that were really damaged by a warm-up game, the archetypal example to me would be Ireland in 2019 at Twickenham, as you mentioned, because they went into that sort of, I think, I can't remember whether they said it before the game, but certainly after the game, they said, look, that's the effect of a heavy conditioning week seeping into seeping into match but they were so roundly beaten and humiliated really i think they they shipped 50 didn't they that that just 
set a tone whereby they were sort of scrabbling went to went to japan and and, and you've got to place it in context of the, the six nations before they'd lost they'd lost to england and they'd lost to being pumped by wales as well but then they went to japan lost to the hosts obviously got beaten in another quarter final so i think i think certainly that yeah that's the that's the ideal as you say Coles. you want to be settled and you want to go into it just sort of tweaking things and holding a little bit back if you can if you've got that body mm. of work already if you if haven't you, appointed a coach in january <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah if you if you go into it and you're fragile at the start i think they can be really damaging if they go badly right that's it for today big thanks to charlie and to charles and a special thanks to nick evans for his time as well this week a reminder that the three of us will be here every Tuesday throughout the Rugby World Cup. We're going to be in and out of France covering the games and we'll try and keep you up to speed with everything that's going on. So please do subscribe. What are you waiting for? Enjoy all the action this weekend. We can't wait for it to start and we'll catch you next week. Until then, from the three of us, thanks and goodbye. <laughs>